What I think makes the coronavirus an unprecedented supply chain disruption is the fact that it's affecting so many different parts of the supply chain. We see increases in demand, decreases in demand, decreases in capacity, increases other places, and it's changing every day. Different parts of the world are being shut down. So it's such a dynamic environment that it makes it extra challenging and also extra interesting. Welcome to There's a Better Way. Each episode, Dr. Arvind Chandrasekharan, professor and academic director, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss how business principles can provide solutions to problems we may face in our professional and personal lives. This program is brought to you by Fisher Executive Education. Welcome to There is a Better Way. Today in our podcast, we're going to talk about how the recent coronavirus episode is affecting supply chains. To do this podcast with us is Dr. Keely Croxton. Welcome to the program, Keely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Keely, can you tell the audience a little bit about your background and what kind of research do you do in this area? Sure. So um, my background, uh, educationally speaking, comes from an industrial engineering optimization um, training. But for the last 20 years, I've been at Ohio State as part of the logistics faculty. And my research for the last about decade uh, has been focused in the areas of risk and resilience. So um, developed some work and a framework for how companies can think about resilience. Okay. And, and that, that is what is needed today and in this day and age. So today, as we all know, we are in this age where uh, the, the coronavirus is disrupting several different things, not only our daily life, but how commodities are moved, how organizations are functioning. Uh, so tell us more about what are some challenges that these organizations are facing, especially on the supply chain side. Yeah, well, it seems to be changing every day. Um, in January, when it was contained in China, um, you saw lots of supply chain slowdowns. The good news there was that because it coincided with the shutdown for the Chinese New Year, a lot of companies had already prepared for less flow coming out of China. So it certainly exacerbated that, but at least many companies had already built up inventory and preparation. So that, that probably helped a little bit. Um, now, of course, it's global. So now you're seeing uh, more impacts and throughout the supply chain. But kind of think about a supply chain, think going through uh, the elements of that supply chain. You can think about retailers. Certainly retailers are being impacted they're seeing it in some cases through decreased demand. So when you shutter down businesses um, in these local communities, obviously that turns off the spigot of the supply chain. So that's happening for some retailers. Other retailers are seeing huge spikes. We've seen the lines at the grocery stores, the empty shelves. Uh, with everybody moving to online offices, there's been a boom in electronics, people buying equipment. So those supply chains have seen an increase in demand and um, for other companies at the retail side, it's, it can be a channel shift. So I just happened to be on the IKEA website today and they're shut down, but of course they're still um, uh, filling orders through their online channel. Um, and so those companies are suddenly, they may be able to maintain some decent level of demand and not see a big drop off. And yet that channel switch is still um, a complex problem for them to solve because Often it's the um, retail and the online businesses are not being sh uh, shipped through the same warehouses. So you're still seeing a big spike in demand at perhaps one distribution center and not at another. So 
at the retail, I think you've got different situations going on, either increases, decreases, channel shifts. Uh, moving back through the supply chain, you can think about the transportation companies. Those are being impacted uh, quite a bit. I think it's something like 60% of air freight is um, shipped in as uh, belly cargo, so in the belly of commercial flights. Well, most of the airlines have drastically cut their commercial flights um, around the world. And so you're seeing huge reductions in the capacity of um, belly freight. And yet the dedicated uh, air freight companies aren't able to pick up all that, all that demand. So um, I heard one estimate, it could be as much as an 80% reduction in uh, air um, freight. I think that was dedicated, uh, focused on the belly cargo, but that has huge implications. Uh, so that's air freight, um, truck transportation, you're seeing um, spike in demand, again, because of things like grocery. I saw one estimate that trucking companies saw a 50% increase in grocery and discount store demand uh, this, this week over this week last year. So, uh, so that's putting a big crunch on, on the trucking companies. So all these things are impacting the transportation network. Um, those things are also driving up prices. So even though some companies are still able to move freight, it could be at a higher cost. So that's another impact. Going back to the supply chain, then you've got manufacturing. Again, lots of manufacturing organizations shuttering. And so that obviously has um, yeah. a huge impact on that part of the supply chain, everything from, you know, the auto industry, um, but then not only the kind of big manufacturing firms, but the suppliers to those organizations as well. Yeah. So, so it's, it's interesting. I was, my next question was about um, what kind of industries are affected and you gave every industry. I mean, I heard, I didn't, I didn't miss anything. I think that <laughs> every industry that we can think of today uh, is affected because of this crisis, right? So my question, my other question is, again, we have, uh, as, a, as, a, as a country, as, the, as a world itself, we've had outbreaks, we've, got, we've had uh, tsunamis in the past. How do you see this episode? How do you see the coronavirus episode to be different or similar to some of the things that has happened in the past? You know, um, I think that's changed as well. Um, I was interviewed in January um, about the impact of the coronavirus on the supply chain. And um, I was, like a lot of people, I think, fairly um, naive to where this was headed. Um, and so when it was fairly localized in China, it felt a lot like a natural disaster, right? In fact, I compared it um, when I was talking about it to a tsunami in Japan. Having a lot more impact because of uh, our reliance on China across all industries. But it felt... It felt local. So it felt a little bit like a natural disaster. Now, of course, it's gone global. Um, and so I think that's the biggest difference from a natural disaster. Um, having alternate suppliers may not be as helpful <laughs> in a situation like this as it would be for a natural disaster because it's going, it's going worldwide. I think that could mean a couple interesting things in terms of the recovery. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, when you have a natural disaster, it destroys infrastructure, right? So you've got to build new buildings, build new roads, those kinds of things. Um, in this case, people are locking up the doors, but the infrastructure still remains. So perhaps uh, that could mean a faster recovery. That could be good news. Um, 
On the other hand, I think this is going to last for quite a while from everything that I'm reading. And so I worry a little bit that uh, particularly smaller uh, companies might not be able to survive it. And if that's kind of happening across the globe, that could, I think, slow down the recovery because it's not easy for companies to just find new suppliers, um, particularly in either regulated environments or uh, anytime you've got kind of high quality specifications where you just can't pick up another supplier on the spot. Um, you've got to go through a lot of testing and sharing technology and all of that. So uh, I worry a little bit that if too many companies are crippled financially from this, that then that could slow down the recovery, um, maybe more so than you'd see with a more localized natural disaster. Yeah. So if we think about recoveries, Keely, specifically, how do we even like, we can't even plan for this. I mean, nobody would have anticipated this kind of an episode happening. Like tsunami, you talked about tsunami. Yeah, I could anticipate like uh, giving, giving my company being in a seismic area, I could anticipate problems down the line. This is something that people cannot anticipate. So what do you think as organizations, they've got to think about now that they have had this, how do you think this is going to create lessons for them looking uh, beyond this? What can they do from a supply chain standpoint so they can be more resilient? Uh, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I do think that companies that have spent the last five, 10, whatever number of years becoming more resilient are able to weather this better. I mean, there's no doubt that you can't prepare for it and no one's coming through this unscathed. Um, so there's no 100% protection. But I think the things that companies were doing to become more resilient, to protect against any other kind of disruption, can still help in these circumstances. So I don't know that my advice to companies changes very much um, in light of this. Uh, I would tell them to do the same things I've been preaching from my based on my research um, over the last decade. And it's all the things that create flexibility. Um, you know, we talked about multi-sourcing is, well, maybe that wouldn't have helped uh, in a crisis like this because it's so global. Uh, it certainly would limit the benefit that you get from having multiple sources for a product. But there has been some phasing to how this has moved through the globe, right? So China is, is ramping up their production again while um, the U.S. is slowing down. So had you had a supplier in China and one in the US or South America or Central America, you might have been able to get through because when China went down, you could rely on the other one. And now when this one's down, China's back up. So I think multiple sourcing can still help. There's obviously been a big push to have lean supply chains and to reduce inventory levels. Occasions like this point out that that's a pretty brittle supply chain. And so thinking a little bit about are there strategic ways to position inventory, maybe taking advantage of postponement or some other techniques so that you're not inundating the system with huge amounts of inventory. But maybe there's strategic ways to, to build up some inventory. That is not going to get you through a three-month uh, crisis like this, but it might get you through a few weeks. Yeah. And then from a customer standpoint, Keely, we never talked about this. Like you, you mentioned about grocery stores, you mentioned about people panically buying things, right? Is there something that organizations can do to like level the demand? Because again, if you think about it, people are buying toilet papers, 
more than what they need, maybe even for their uh, generations to come, right? Can companies now go back and say, hey, you know what, um, we, because that might affect the supply chain, that might affect down uh, upstream um, when you look at manufacturing, right? Are there any good practices that you can think of where educating more customers about how to prepare themselves could be worthy of having at this point of juncture? Yeah, that's a great question too. Because I, I, I think it creates a couple problems. Not only did they have this big surge where they're having a hard time meeting demand and it's driving up um, uh, transportation costs and putting stress on the transportation system and the manufacturing system. But as you said, now they've the consumers are sitting on months and months of toilet paper. And so th then you're going to see this big drop in demand when this is all over. Um, and so that kind of bull up effect is going to be, I think, pretty painful. So uh, certainly something that um, we should try to educate consumers about. I'm kind of hoping that uh, consumers will be educating themselves coming out of this. Like, you know, I think this is going to be a pretty, hopefully the worst thing that we see in our lifetimes. And maybe next time if something happens, we'll know we don't need to go out and buy six months of toilet paper. And so um, I'm hoping that there's some learning going on there <laughs> that could come naturally. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I think if we can, uh, you're certainly seeing it at the retailers. Retailers are starting to limit how much you can buy at once. Yeah. Uh, maybe that needed to start earlier. Yeah. Um, although that also kind of induces more panic, right? And they're like, oh, well, I will go to six different stores because clearly I, I should be buying more. Um, so it's hard. Human nature is, is tough to, to fight yeah. against. I'm not sure I have any good ideas there. So the other question I asked you, you talked about how this is actually affecting various parts of the world. From your experience, looking at like what is happening, do you see certain parts of the world getting really good at managing these kind of things? Because this is affecting everybody, every country that I can think of. Do you see that maybe China was better prepared than South Korea or South Korea was better prepared than US? Any, any thoughts on that? I think we're definitely seeing where uh, government responses have been either better or worse. Um, from a supply chain perspective, I don't know that you can that you can put a geographical uh, boundary around. You know what? I think some companies are doing better, but since all companies are global, like I don't know that you're it that I can look at a regional uh, supply chain response um, and see that there's something there. But I definitely think that the the interplay between government and corporations is, I think, being highlighted through all this and the way that government policies impact both consumer behavior and uh, supply chain behavior is coming to play. And then the way that companies can respond to crises like this and, and play a role in the solutions, I think, um, is all stuff that is going to create a lot of fodder for discussions going forward. I mean, I think right now everybody's in crisis mode, but as we come out of this, I hope that there's some learning and some planning that can go into what do we do if this happens again? Are there better ways to respond um, as a society, both again, you know, everything from how consumers respond to how corporations can, can pitch in and help. Yeah. And I think you nicely put it clearly because this may not happen for another hundred years. Hopefully this may not happen, but again, there are so much learning coming out of this that companies can take away and then apply for even smaller outbreaks and smaller instances that, that might come in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. This might not be, we hope, uh, recreated, but there's going to be some other disruption. And I think the, 
the good news is the things that companies could do to help the things I mentioned about um, inventory and multiple sourcing and trying to secure capacity and you know, a range of things that companies could 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 uh, have done to help prepare for this would help prepare them for just about anything else that could come up. So there's going to continue to be natural disasters. There's going to continue to be um, outbreaks of disease, hopefully not like this. But there's not much that's unique about this that couldn't also be utilized in other situations. Okay. I, I thought that was useful, Kiri. Again, um, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I hope um, I, I learned a lot about how to manage it, how to come back to it, how to learn from it. I'm sure our audience will do the same too. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Take care. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or information about executive education program offerings, please visit fisher.osu.edu.